Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry and uses the imaginary Airzatz Coffee Shop as its platform to bring you a conversation about a plethora of scintillating topics. We don't shy away from any issue that is plaguing our culture or the church today, whether it's current cultural issues, questions about Bible verses, or even just some banter to encourage you. Dr. Jay Christensen is the truth barista, and he and amazing Larry Kutzler brew up highly caffeinated conversations for our day. Grab a cup of joe, pop yourself down in the booth next to us, and get ready to think. The Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry, and it's listener-supported. For more information about The Truth Barista, go to highbeamministry.com. Thanks for listening. It is a fact. This is a fact. God is committed to keeping His promises to you, no matter how far you've fallen, how often you failed, or where you're at in life. God is committed to keeping His promises to you in spite of you, not because of you. God doesn't keep His promise to you because of you. God keeps His promise to you because of Him. He keeps His promise because He's faithful. He doesn't keep His promise because you're faithful. It's better for you to be faithful than unfaithful. But God doesn't keep His promise to you because of your faithfulness. And this is what faith looks like. Faith looks like, wow, my trust is in God's power and in His faithfulness, not in my faith. This is what is the most frustrating thing that I find that Christians struggle with. We're constantly making promises to God. Oh, I promise you, God, I'm going to do better. I promise you I'm going to stop sinning. I promise you, God, I'm going to pray every day. You make these promises to God as if somehow God is like checking the box. Oh, you're good. Good job. Good job. No, it's not a good job because you don't keep most of those. And thank God that he doesn't keep his promise to us based on our promises to him. He is watching over his word to perform it, that God is faithful, that he who began a good work in you will fulfill it until the day of Christ Jesus. Faithful is he who started it and he will do it. I mean, you can't you can't read the Bible and find anywhere where our faithfulness earns God's faithfulness. There's nothing about our faithfulness that, got, that, that caught, triggers God's faithfulness. You know what triggers God's faithfulness? God's faithfulness. What should that do in your life? It should bring you rest. It should bring you calm. It should bring you confidence. It should put your mind at ease. See, it's all about His faithfulness. It's all about God's character that causes you to believe. Psalm 25, 5 says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. And Psalm 26, 3 says, For your faithful love guides me, and I live by your truth. The Truth Barista is a conversation about the truth of God's Word and how we follow that truth. There are two things the Truth Barista values, the truth of God's Word and the clarity in how it is presented. Therefore, the Truth Barista uses a unique way to have a conversation about God and His truth. We're listener-supported. For more information, check out our website at highbeamministry.com. Again, that's at highbeamministry.com. Dr. Jay Christensen, once again, it's time to talk about this little itsy-bitsy book we've been talking about the last few weeks called Jude. And, and you've unpacked some incredible insights into what this little book is teaching us. Where are we going today? We're going to talk about those 
heretical teachers that are undermining the work in the congregations that Jude is talking about. Now, we don't get the specific teachings these heretics are bringing in, kind of up to speculation, but we do get the effects of their teachings and how it's affecting these congregations catering to their desires. It's leading them in the wrong paths. And Jude is really trying to get at the root of these things. And basically, he's describing these heretics and their teachings in some very graphic, very pictorial ways. And that's what we've ended last week's study with when he was talking about Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And that's, I think, where we're going to start today. This is verse 11. A curse of God upon them, for they've gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit and perished in Korah's rebellion. In other words, he says, these are the three things that is happening to them by being heretical teachers. They're refusing to believe God, so there's pride and self-righteousness involved. Like Balaam, they're selling their teachings and services for profit. And like Korah, they're rebelling against God's given authority. And he gets into verse 12 here. These people are dangerous reefs at your love feasts as they eat with you without reverence. Now, what is a love feast? Well, if you want to put it in like really common terms, it's a church lunch. You mean like, and, like those old potlucks we used to have? Or, or if you want to call it pot blessings, because we don't believe in luck. <laughs> Oh my goodness, we're having a little fun today. Anyway, yeah, a love feast were these times when the body would eat together because eating was often a sign in the Bible of being in covenant with one another and having peace between the covenant partners. So after services, they would have a feast or a dinner or a meal. And during that meal, they would often eat the bread and drink the wine, the two emblems of communion taken from Passover to remember what Jesus did for them, his body and his blood. And so they would have a meal celebrating Jesus, incorporating all these things together. However, he says, you know, when these heretics, these teachers, false teachers come to your love feasts, they're doing it in ways that their teachings are like dangerous reefs. You know, they're the dangerous just below the surface. It sounds good on the surface, but under the surface, there's danger. And so they come to your love feasts. And, and as you and I know, there are all sorts of people in congregations who have their pet teachings that may be off base that they just love to share with people after the service mm. or, you know, at another gathering when the the pastor doesn't have such influence or the elders don't have such influence. And so what happens is they teach these false teachings and like a hidden reef, it may seem like smooth sailing, but eventually this person, if they take these teachings into their life, will run aground and shipwreck their faith. We've seen it among all sorts of believers. In fact, from my experience in the Messianic Jewish world and in the Jewish Ritz world, there have been teachers who have come in and started contradicting the fact that Jesus was Messiah or Jesus was divine. And they have said, no, Jesus is just a man or Jesus is a man and a good teacher, but not the Messiah. And all of a sudden I've seen dedicated Christians convert to Judaism. Hmm. which rejects Jesus as the Messiah, although more and more today are at least considering that, which is really cool. It's a good dialogue. But I've had people who have deconverted from Christianity and converted to Judaism. Why? Because these teachers have come in, undercut the truth of the new covenant, and these people have then shipwrecked their faith. All right, so this is what these teachers are doing. Now, 
He says, at your love feast, they eat with you without reverence. In other words, this is not a time to get together with the body to enjoy our common fellowship and our unity in Jesus. It's just a lunch to feed yourself. And they do it without reverence. In other words, they're carousing instead of caring. Now he moves into some descriptions. I love these descriptions. Are you ready? I am. They're waterless clouds carried along by winds. Now, actually, let me back up for a second. When the Bible uses pictures, the pictures describe a function. So as I go through this, I want you to think function, because I'm going to ask you, based on function, what do these pictures mean? What is Jude saying? They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up with their shameful deeds. They're wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Okay, waterless clouds carried along by the winds. What's he saying? There's no water. There's no nourishment. I mean, a cloud rains, right? Water comes down and and helps vegetation grow. They have none of that. So say you're a farmer with dry land and the crops need rain and the clouds begin to gather. What are you anticipating? Rain. And it doesn't. Yeah. So so in other words, you look up and you go, wow, those are some pretty deceptive clouds there. <laughs> Thanks a lot, buddies. Yeah. And they move along. Well, that's what he's saying. They deceptively promise blessing, but they are no help at all. Mm-hmm. They're only blown away. And I've seen this in congregations, people that come in to be claim to be great teachers. They spill out all this stuff that promises blessings to the body, you know, based on scriptures that have been twisted. And then they move on with their congregational gift, their love offering. And you look and you go, and how did any of that benefit us? Right. Okay. Number two, they are autumn trees, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. As to function, what is he saying about these heretical teachers? Well, there's no fruit. I mean, you have a fruit tree with no fruit. So it's the same thing that Jesus cursed, uh, you know, in the Gospels. There's no fruit. Well, you don't plant a fruit tree without expecting fruit at some point. Exactly. And that goes back to the cloud illustration. There's a promise there that's not met. They promise spiritual fruit, but there's nothing to satisfy spiritual hunger. See, hey, invite me into your congregation or your home group meeting or your conference, and I'll give you something to chew on. And there's really nothing there. And sadly, I've gone to some conferences like that. And it's like, really? Why did I even bother? There's nothing here. In fact, it's even worse if what they teach is just really off base. At that point, I just get up and walk out. Mm -hmm. So that's what Jude is talking about. They can't bear spiritual fruit because they don't have any root in the Lord. And they're more, therefore, than spiritually dead. They're dry wood ready for burning. In other words, yeah, well, there's nothing in them. There's nothing spiritual about them. They're not connected to the Lord. And basically, they're just ready for hell. How's that for an indictment? Oh, we can't talk uh, mean about other people in the body. (laughs) Well, tell that to Jude. (laughs) That's pretty rough here. Okay. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds. Again, for you, function. What is Jude saying about these heretics? I think a wild wave or or the sea that's wild, what's going to come about from it? Usually destruction because it's it's an angry sea and that just creates more destruction than, than not, right? Right. Having lived through a hurricane, it's amazing how 
you get the storm surge, that's one thing. But when you get the waves that are whipped up by the wind, those waves pounding against concrete can lift highways, sidewalks. It can take buildings off their foundations. The destructive power of wind-whipped waves is incredible and astounding. And this is how Jude is describing these heretical teachers. They make a ruckus, but it's all just foam and fluff, and it destroys those who hear them and take their teachings to heart. And by the way, it foams up their shameful deeds. It creates a path for them to promote the shameful living that Jude has already talked about. And now to the last one, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Okay, what do you got? I, I see your hand up there. Well, I I don't know, but the wandering star sounds to me like a shooting star. You see it for a moment, and then it's gone. That may not be what you're looking for, but that's what I kind of see in the image. You very much picked up the function. This is a star that doesn't stay in one place. It's a star that moves and eventually disappears. So after they get what they want, which is usually your money and applause... They move on to the next group to exploit, and they may get away with it for now. But as Jude says, their ultimate and sure end is judgment. How do we know? Jude is going to now move to a second apocryphal book called the Book of Enoch. And this, by quoting the Book of Enoch, almost got Enoch into the canon of Scripture. But there were other things that excluded it. However, it's a very valuable book to read because the thoughts that are in Enoch, the book of Enoch, first Enoch, are in the heads of the Jews in Jesus' day. So if you want to learn about the watchers of Genesis 6, if you want to learn about God's judgment, if you want to get insights on how people thought about Genesis and, and a lot of that era, read the book of Enoch. Again, it's not Bible but it's very valuable information as to what Jews were thinking in Jesus' day. Jude draws on that information right here. Let's start at verse 14. It was about these, these who? These heretical teachers, that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way. A lot of ungodliness going on. And concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. Whew, that's all quoted from the book of Enoch. So let's unpack that a little bit, okay? What he's saying is that judgment for the ungodly has been ordained for a very long time, and it will surely come. And by the way, remember I pointed out how many times ungodly is used in this verse? Does that give you a clue about anything Jude might be concerned about? Godliness, right? Yeah, ungodliness, right, absolutely. Yeah, ungodliness versus godliness. And he's trying to tell his congregations, no, you got to walk a godly way. They are leading you into ungodliness. So how can a holy, godly church tolerate unholy, ungodly people? So that's the versatility of sin section, 11 through 13, and their judgment in righteousness, verses 14 through 15. Let's finish this up with verses 16 through the end. Verse 16 through 23 is the call for the Christians to be alert. Here we go. These people are discontented grumblers, living according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. These are the people to watch out for. 
Now, notice how much of this, what you just talked about, is related to how we use our mouths. Go through the list, Amazing Larry. Their actions fall in line with their speaking against authority, catering to their selves, drawing others away into deception. The very same thing. The New King James Version Study Bible has a great note on this. It is notable that with all of the blunt descriptions of false teachers, Jude gives us neither a command to confront these troublemakers, only to avoid them, nor a plan of disciplinary action. He simply says they are under condemnation of God. Those are the people you need to watch out for. So you're saying just avoid them, not confront them. In this particular case, that's what Jude is saying. In other words, ignore them. Just let them go. Don't accept their teachings. Don't follow their ways. Just let them go. And remember, he's writing to congregations. He's not necessarily addressing just leaders. It's up to the leaders to be the gatekeepers and the shepherds, as we talked about in the last one. Okay, so 17 through 18. So now Jude moves to those who are reading his letter. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. And Judah's going, ha ha, here they are, just like they were prophesied. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the Spirit. So why does Jude bring up the apostles in verses 17 through 18? Because the apostles knew Jesus and his words intimately, first-hand accounts. This is why their words were written down. So to preserve a standard of truth, a first-hand standard of truth, and a solid record of God's revelation in Jesus. Our best defense against the false is the true. Anyone speaking for God, Amazing Larry, must line up with his word. And so what's Jude's maiden warning? Stay away from those who destroy God's truth. Even handling God's word casually is dangerous. We must be very serious and honest when working with God's word. So Judas telling them they shouldn't be surprised to see the kinds of teachers appear. Why? Because the apostles had already warned them in verse, as he says in verse 17. And we shouldn't be surprised either in light of what Paul wrote as quoted in the introduction when I said, a hallmark of the end times is a wholesale abandonment of God's truth so that we can cater to ourselves. And we're seeing that in our day. So we're actually saying that this is the description of the kinds of people who are coming in unnoticed. Exactly. And if you look at that list, it's pretty amazing. You know, people that, that create divisions, they're worldly people, they're devoid of spirit and so forth. And it's amazing. Some of our congregations are, are experiencing that kind of example, which really then destroys the whole congregation. Yeah, it does. And I find it very interesting. In 19, he really touches on the aspect of unity. Jesus, in John 17, prayed that we would be unified. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that our goal is to be one unified body. Not uniformity, but unified. But what do these others do? The exact opposite of what Jesus' Spirit would do. They create divisions. They're worldly. They don't have the Spirit. However, if we have the Spirit... We should be healing divisions, being godly, because we have the Spirit. See, there's the comparison there. Okay, so moving on, what do they do? They're mocking. Mocking is a main tactic with those with an agenda, tearing down the truth and God's designated authorities. See Satan and Korah, right? 
do we see this today? Absolutely. We see those who are mocking those pastors and elders and teachers who are conservative in their approach to scriptures. You'll often see people poo-poo them going, oh, well, science is so far advanced today. And sociologically, we understand that the nature of human relationships does include same-sex relationships and, and actually multiple partners because we're so much more enlightened now which places us so far above the mind of God, right? Mm -hmm. That's the mocking we hear today. So verse 19, we talked about that. They are identified by focusing on sensuality, causing divisions, and not having the Spirit. Verses 20 through 21. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. I love how Jude ends his letter. I mean, he hits the problem head on. He hits it hard. He doesn't pull punches. He identifies these people in black and white terms. And then he turns his attention to the congregations and says, you need to grow in grace rather than being I focused and me focused as the heretics are. It's to grow in grace, to be God focused, build your trust in God. How? Allow him to put you in situations that demand you trust him, turning every challenge over to him to walk us through it. Pray in the spirit. How? Spirit-inspired prayer. And if you're charismatic or Pentecostal and believe in the gifts of tongues, then use your gift of tongues. It takes faith to pray in tongues because it completely bypasses our rational minds. If you don't believe in tongues, then still pray in the Spirit, trusting that the Holy Spirit will guide you as you pray by giving you scriptures and inspiring thoughts about how and what to pray for. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do we do that? We cultivate our relationship with Him. We trust Him. We try to stay in constant contact with the Spirit and awareness of how He's speaking to us and guiding us. Love on the Lord, for His love never leads us. And finally, he says, look for mercy, expectantly waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. This means expecting Jesus' mercy on those who love him. So that kind of focuses on the congregation. Now in verses 22 and 23, he's saying, not only care for yourselves, but care for others. Verse 22, have mercy on those who waver. Why? They may be under the sway of a heretical teacher. Save others by snatching them from the fire, which means if they've been caught up in this teaching, get them out, give them the truth, counteract the false, have mercy on others, but without fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. In other words, on some, let's have compassion. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, have, have mercy on those who doubt. In Jude's context, there are some who are wavering in the faith, so deal with them gently. On others, save them with fear, pulling them out. Some need more drastic action to get them away from the false teachers or the sin that they're in. But in doing so, we need to be careful we don't fall into the same things or become ensnared. And now we reach the doxology, the big praise to God. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time now and forever. Jude ends his letter on a bright note. 
He's been looking at a very dark situation among the believers with very corrupt false teachers creating a crisis of faith and practice. It's a tough rebuke, amazing Larry, and a stern warning, but now he breaks into song. Why praise God? Because in the face of those who cause us to stumble, God keeps us from stumbling. In the light of those who would cause God to find fault with us and condemn us to hell, God is more than able to keep us so that we may stand faultless before him on judgment day. Faultless, by the way, means without blemish, which is the requirement of a sacrifice to be accepted by God. And because he is our only savior, not those guys, but Jesus, he alone is wise, not those guys, and he alone has glory, majesty, dominion, and power now and forever. Those guys, mm, no. And then he ends it with an amen. <laughs> I love that. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I love that. He assures us that God will be there for us. He's got our back, regardless of what we may face. I, I love that positive spin. We don't need to fear false teachers. We just need to fear the Lord whose teaching is true. Okay, the point I want to leave you with is that there will always be false teachers that are within Christ's body. If you go back to the parable of the wheat and the tares, this is not just about disciples and those who pretend to be disciples. It's not just about the world with good people in the world who are walking with God and those people in the world who aren't. But we can also apply the same principle within a congregational body regarding teachers. There are really good teachers, and there are false teachers who sound good, but they're not giving you good material. In fact, we get warned about this in a couple of places. Peter says this in 2 Peter 2.1, There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring in swift destruction on themselves. Now that was Peter. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.7. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they are insisting on. There are people who are false teachers because they don't understand what they're saying, and they insist on, you know, I, I, I insist on what I'm saying, and I'm insisting on what I'm wrong about. So we have to watch those guys. Paul also says in 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Why do false teachers, false prophets, etc., thrive in churches? Because there are people who want their ears itched. If people don't want their ears itched, but they would rather have their hearts and their minds and their spirits fed, you will have far greater discernment to weed out the false teachers. And it doesn't mean you throw them out the door. It just simply means bring them in for correction. And if they refuse to be corrected at that point, maybe they do need to be sidelined or excused. Well, Dr. Jay Christensen, thanks so much. I mean, your insights here are very clear, and I just love when we went through this itsy-bitsy book called Jude. And if people want more information about The Truth Barista or Dr. Jay Christensen, where do they go? They would go to highbeamministry.com, highbeamministry.com, as in car high beams, because High Beam Ministry shines the light of God's truth on the road ahead. We are presenting God's truth for our day. You're listening to The Truth Barista, a production of HighBeamMinistry.com.
the truth today? Dr. Jay Christensen is the truth barista and the founder of Hyde Beam Ministry. Jay is a creative person who wants to use the setting of an imaginary cafe to produce a series of radio and internet programs that confront the issues of our day through the lens of the Bible. The Truth Barista was the avenue that was developed to communicate truth using the Bible as the source of our information. The Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry and can be found online at highbeamministry.com.